Yeah, well, 72 seasons as a concept is, you know, that's been digested from, from somewhere else, meaning it was a concept. It was the 72 seasons of sorrow. And I dropped the sorrow part off because, you know, the first 18 year, years of life aren't all sorrow. And we tend to just focus on that in our adult life. Like, I need to fix all the shit that was wrong when I was a kid. That was great stuff as well. So 72 seasons, everyone's got their version of what their 72 seasons were and what they mean to them now. You're listening to The Growing Up Rock Podcast with Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Because we figure you can never have too much Metallica in your life. We bought you an episode last week with the top five Metallica songs. This week, we bring you a discussion that I had with Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson from the Metallica Report. Back in August, Pantheon Podcast, who Sonny and I are a part of Pantheon Podcast, started working with the Metallica folks. And they started a new podcast called The Metallica Report, which is basically a 15, 20-minute podcast episode every week brought to you from Metallica HQ. So it's the official podcast of the band Metallica. And Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson have guests on, fans on, the band on each and every week uh, with different kind of updates on what the band has going on. It's very cool. There's uh, some great interviews there with the band, and so we encourage you guys to check them out. But this week, we thought we would have Stefan and Renee on the show to discuss their history with rock and roll, their history with Metallica, and what specifically they do within the world of Metallica, because they have very specific jobs that are in addition to just being the host of the Metallica Report. So sit back. We hope you guys enjoyed this. My partner, Hollywood Pooney, is off in Vegas somewhere gambling and winning a bunch of money and watching YouTube shows, and I don't know what he's doing. I'm sure he's going to report on all of that. So sit back, enjoy this interview with Stefan Shirazi, editor of Metallica's So What magazine, and Renee Richardson, director of philanthropy for All Within My Hands, Metallica's foundation. Check it out. Okay, welcome to the Growing Up Rock podcast. We have Stefan Shirazi, who's the editor of Metallica's So What magazine, and Renee Richardson is the director of philanthropy for Metallica's foundation, All Within My Hands. Welcome, guys. Hey, Stephen. How's it going? Thank you, Stephen. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. 
you know, I struggled with the word philanthropy. <laughs> it actually came out. If I had to say that word every damn day, I'd be like tongue tied. It gets easier the more you say it. <laughs> the greatest thing about that word is practicing it is probably more important than saying it. So you're off the hook there, Stephen. It's all good. <laughs> And in the future, as I retire, my wife says, well, we're going to be doing a lot of that. So get used to it. And I'm like, I can't say that word. Can I just say I'm the giving dude? Yes, you can. No, 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 Stephen, what you do is you can now just repeat my line. Say it ain't important that I'm saying it. It's important that I'm doing it. Doing it. There you go. (laughs) There you go. So both the host of the Metallica Report on Pantheon Podcast Network, as I mentioned at the beginning, myself and Sonny, my co-host, have joined up on the Pantheon Network. It's a great network, a great place for all the music podcasts. And we're happy that the Metallica Report is now part of us. Great. Yeah, Yeah. we're really happy to be with the Pantheon family. Everyone has been um, nothing short of excellent and uh Full disclosure, uh, Christian uh, lives probably about 12 minutes from me. <laughs> so so we, we get to hang and we get to yeah. chit-chat uh, a lot more, which is, which is awesome. Yeah, is that a good thing? <laughs> it, you know, it is a good thing. I know. All, all jokes aside, it is a good thing. I, Christian runs at a – Christian and I have the same kind of speed, I think. It's a good thing. We're really happy to be here. Fair enough. So look, I want to introduce you guys to the listeners and get a little bit of your backstory as we do here at Growing Up Rock a lot. So we'll start with you, Renee. Mm -hmm. You were primarily in radio before everything got started on the career path that you're currently on, right? That is correct. Yeah, I had a 20-year radio career in San Francisco on the air at um, Live 105 and KFOG for most of my career was at KFOG. K-Fog. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, I spent years on the radio, loved radio, did a morning show, worked with a lot of local San Francisco bands to establish a local music scene and kind of bring that up through our radio station. And along the way, you know, got into radio because I love music and wanted to see as many shows as possible. The unfortunate thing is I ended up in morning radio, so it made it difficult to see all those shows (laughs) that I wanted to see. But, you know, you take the good with the bad. And then throughout my radio career, I had always been um, supporting music schools and doing philanthropic work as best I could, offering what I could. Sometimes it's not financial. Sometimes it's lending my voice to things. And um, slowly moved as radio changed and I was unceremoniously shown the door, (laughs) (laughs) if you will. (laughs) That's a badge of honor in radio. It is. Thank you for acknowledging that. Not everybody knows that. My my parents certainly didn't know that. So I got more deeply involved in giving back, and I worked with a local music school in San Francisco. And in that time, in in my entire radio career in San Francisco, I got to know the Metallica family and saw the band so many times. It was I was very lucky to be able to enjoy a bunch of shows. And and when they started their five hundred one c three all within my hands, I was perfectly poised to take the position and run with it and help them navigate this side of what they plan to do and this side of the future of Metallica. So, yeah, I just I guess right place, right time, but a lot of experience to uh, be the right person for the job. So, yeah, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Fair enough. So that's all great. But what I really want to know about is this small little line, a teeny tiny little line 
in your bio that says auctioneer and MC. Yes. What's that about? Yeah. So as I've mentioned, you know, uh, in ways that I could help when I had my radio career, I was always invited to MC things as a celebrity MC, very small celebrity. <laughs> and then, I, you know, they love celebrity auctioneers. And I was so bad at it, even though, you know, I brought money in, but like professionally, I felt like I'm, I'm not getting this. So I went to Missouri School of Auction and I took a week long auctioneering class to learn to be a proper auctioneer and learn all the ins and outs of it. So when I would be asked to volunteer in this position, I could actually bring some real dollars in and have a major impact to the the nonprofits that I was working with so that I wasn't embarrassing myself. <laughs> when I think of auctioneer, I'm thinking of hey, whatever, mm-hmm. blah, 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 that kind of thing. Like, could you rapid fire some of that stuff? Yes, I could. I could back when I was doing it a lot. I could. But you know, what's interesting is they have you do Betty Botter. You know, Betty Botter. Betty Botter bought some butter, but she said this butter's bitter. So she put a bit of better butter in her better batter. So better, better, better. So that would be your practice to get your patter down. And I haven't done it in years. So I'm sorry, it's not as effective as it would be. But yeah, you do that, you get your patter, and then you you put the numbers in and you layer it into your, your repertoire. <laughs> All right. Stefan, you are a writer. You've written for many, many magazines, Sounds, Raygun, Bikini, Penthouse, Rip, Bam, Bay Area Music for those people that are not from the West Coast. But Krang Magazine, which I got to tell you, as a kid growing up, was a Bible to me. We got it on import at this record store in my tiny little town, and I learned about all these wonderful bands on the new wave of British heavy metal. And that was, I mean, that was everything to me when you're 15 and 16 in a small town, I got to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I started when I was 15. It was uh, 1982 is the first piece I ever wrote. And uh, that was for my school magazine, uh, Hollyvine, which is a, not an internationally renowned publication. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, a few sheets of A4 stapled to a photocopier. Why am I telling you about my school magazine, you might ask? It's because uh, that story was with Lemmy. Uh, Lemmy introduced me to the studio. He brought me into the studio. I'd written a letter to Sue Manley, who is the secretary of his management company. I'll never forget her name because if she hadn't replied, I may not be sitting here talking to you. And I was invited in by him. I was given a large amount of alcohol. I was given free reign of the uh, the volume button, and then he sat and listened to my uh, what must have been obsequious, uh, bordering on just you know moronic questions for an hour. Uh, I mean, he was great, you know, he was wonderful. So I wrote this piece, you know, as a total fan piece. Uh, I bullshitted my way into an internship at Sounds. The a year later, I wrote another stout defense of Motorhead in that, and uh, it was at Sounds that I got my first my first professional gig with Sounds writing gig paid gig i should say mm-hmm. was to review ride the lightning i was aware of metallica because i'd had the demo tape no life to leather had come to me and uh, kill em all was the first album i ever received as a, a free record which you used to get you know as a journalist it was the first free album i ever got so was, i got a free record of the demo that i was already a fan of and uh i remember to make it all loop in i had struggled up the stairs from a motorhead festival where i'd thrown up all over myself and had no sleep literally <laughs> so this brown envelope's on my door and i opened it and it's like wow it's 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 kill them all let me put this on and it was just amazing so 
I was all over Ride the Lightning, you know. Then that was the first first feature I ever did on the band was for Ride the Lightning in 1984. I went to Paris Outdoor Festival. So, you know, it's interesting you talk about the days that we grow up in and, you know, high school and swapping music and so on. My, My high school was spent bridging the time between bunking off classes and being, you know, going to the States to interview like Twisted Sister or whatever and coming back and just fucking getting through school and finishing it, which I did. So yeah, I and then from there there on, it was all, all guns blazing, so to speak. And the Kerrang stories that's another that's another tale for another time. But it was brilliant to go the way that that happened. Brilliant to hook up with them. Moved to America in 1986, and as you can tell, I could probably suck the air out of this pod for the next hour. So I'll leave <laughs> it there. It. You carry I on asking it. questions because otherwise this is going to go on. <laughs> well, so I'm going to rewind a minute because I want to talk to both of you about these respectively, but I'll start since I've already got you here, Stefan. Mm. Your part in the Metallica world is that you're not only the host of the Metallica Report, but you're also the editor of So What Magazine, which is yeah. an online publication on the band's website, right? Yeah. Well, we're the, you know, Renee and I are the hosts and, and, and writers of the pod. We sit down and script it every week. We do the writing and, and we do that and we host and we're involved in the production of it and so on and so forth. So, we, we you know, we do a lot of work on this pod between us uh, with Christian and, and the team. So, and there's, you know, and there's, and the HQ team, there's, there's a lot of people involved. So, Yes. So I'd say that we're, that's, you know, you can add that to our ticket. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. I still, so what has been the band's official magazine for more than two decades, way more than two decades. It started in 1993 and I, I used to freelance for it the, at that point when it first came out. I basically wrote it as a freelancer and then I came on board as the full time salaried editor in the late 90s. And that continues to be my role in the digital world as well because obviously print, you know, somewhat had its day, sadly. But, you know, we've progressed uh, all the qualities of the print into the online. And uh, I think you actually probably get more online in the online So What magazine than you used to before. And if you go to Metallica.com and you log in, you join up to be a fifth member, you get it for Nout. And that was not the case before. You used to have to pay for it. So (laughs) talk about value-added content. Yeah, there you go. And rewinding just a minute to Renee. Renee, so we talked about it briefly, but I, I want to know more about the All Within My Hands Foundation because that is your part in the Metallica world yes. other than the podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so in 2017, I think was the official formation of the of All Within My Hands as a 501c3 nonprofit organization and the nonprofit arm uh, for Metallica, their foundation. And as most Metallica fans will know, the band had always given back when they toured and they, they primarily focused on food initiatives. They would give back to food banks. They would donate back their, um, you know, food from catering, whatever they could do when they went from town to town. So they always tried to give something back. And then 2019, they decided to expand and the band members got together and they are board members of the foundation. And they got together to say, okay, what else are we going to do now that we're official? What else are we going to focus our efforts on? And, and how can we get the fans engaged in what we're doing? So there was the food banks. That was a that was a no-brainer for them. They could also create their day of service, which they did, which went on hold during COVID. But that, that was a way to get fans involved to come out and volunteer at their local food bank. So food initiatives are a big part of what All Within My Hands supports. And we do that internationally as best we can. 
And then it was James who was really, his kids were going through high school programs and starting to head out to college and nobody was telling them or teaching them about the value of the trades as a an option when you got out of school. It was really like they were being pushed into college and pushed into four-year university. And um, he was just wondering about that. And he said, people should should know how important these jobs are and that they're out there. And I would like our foundation to shine a light on that. So that was how the Metallica Scholars Initiative was born. And that program is now, we partner with the American Association of Community Colleges. We are in 42 community colleges around the country. We're in 33 states. And by the end of this year, we'll have supported 6,000 students learning a, uh, a skilled trade so that they can embedder themselves and their family and bring you know more money into the family and potentially own their own businesses, which is incredible. So three prongs for all within my hands. It's food initiatives. It's the Metallica Scholars, you know, workforce education in the trades and disaster relief. And the disaster relief part of the puzzle is it's just horrific. The things that happen, earthquakes, um, hurricanes, many disasters, the war in Ukraine, we got involved there. So it's a way that an international band like Metallica can further support when crisis arises. And like I said, the band and the management team make up the board of directors and they have set forth on this path and I'm just here to facilitate. <laughs> that really is amazing because when you think about it with charities and stuff, nobody wants to toot their own horn because they feel it takes away from the charity, but it's it's sort of a catch-22 mm-hmm. because when you're, a, when you're an entity as large as Metallica is, right? People think band and they think bands and bands. But when you get to the point of a Metallica, Taylor Swift, some of these acts where it's it's an enormous corporation, it's there's there's employees, there's assets, there's uh, holdings. It's a corporation, so they're just like you know Apple or Nike. You know, maybe not that size, but big and they want to do things for charity and they should do Absolutely. things for charity, mm-hmm. but they also don't want to go, Hey, look at us. We're given to charity because then it really takes away from it. But if they don't sort of step up and go, Hey, then a lot of people don't know about it. Right. It's very strategic that we have partners that we firmly believe in, you know, the world central kitchens, the feeding America, the direct relief. We have these strong partners. So we, when we do talk about the gifts we give, all of our efforts are sent to shine a light on those organizations and tell you, you know, it's not about donating to us all the time. It is about donating to a cause that we believe in and that you can trust that we've we've vetted and we've looked at on your behalf. Yeah. And to that point, if you um, wear our world's dovetail, uh, aside from the radio shows, if you look at So What uh, these days, you know, we yeah. don't we don't just write about the band. Uh, we don't just write about people directly involved with the music. We, we've made it our point over the last few years to really make sure we reach out and tell those stories as well, yeah. whether it be the people working in the specific charities that are receiving or even some of the people who are beneficiaries of. Uh, because as you know, Stephen, everyone has a story. Everyone. Everyone has a story. Part of our tagline is everybody has a rock and roll story to tell. <laughs> yeah. What's your what's your rock and roll story? Well, yeah. yeah, to your point, they have stories, right? Yeah, we've I've heard some extraordinary stories, you know, 
So if anyone wants to dive a little deeper into some of the beneficiaries of All Within My Hands, they can always go to So What, and they'll usually find a profile on someone involved with said charity. I love the stories in So What. I went there uh, today, as as a matter of fact, to look at it. And the other thing that I love, to your point, that you're, you're pointing out where you're not just doing the band. I'm a former tour manager and guitar roadie. So I love that you're spotlighting some of the production people and some of the people that make it go because yeah. it takes a we, lot of people to make it go. That's right. Every tour in the past, I, I used to do a, a, a one print magazine where we'd really get in and profile all sorts of people on the road. Now, of course, the tricky thing is that if you're on the road, you see a guy coming up asking you questions, you usually go the other way. Um, <laughs> you know, really, really lucky. Uh, a lot of the people that we work with, you know, we've known each other for a long time and they trust me. Uh, so that's great. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are so many people who help this band operate. They're the first to acknowledge that. They're the first to recognize that. And it's up to us to make sure we continue to you know, shine a spotlight on it. Yeah. You know, back to the foundation, my wife has a very big part in our local food bank. So she volunteers her time on the regular at the food bank. She runs Saturdays a lot of the time each month. And uh, that's why that's very important to her, that part of it. Uh, and so uh, she connected with that part of it very much because that's very important to her. Yeah. And it's still something we're trying, especially on M72 tour, you know, we are, we're doing volunteer activations at the food banks as many times as we can. We did a great one uh, when we were in Arlington, Texas, and we've got some set up for St. Louis and for Detroit. So hopefully some fans will get out there and volunteer with us at the local food bank. I think it's very humbling when you do this stuff as well. And it's also very educational. I mean, right. that's the other bit of it because we all think of, of, you know, food scarcity as being, you know, you always think you immediately go to homeless and so on and so forth. Well, there's far, far from the case and far from the facts in this ever evolving or devolving world, whichever adjective you want to use. There's a lot of people who are caught in a net of food insecurity. And uh, there are people that, you know, you would never believe. You know, I mean, one of those common right. misconceptions, you know, well, they're driving, they're driving a pretty new Toyota up to the food bank. They must have some money. It's like, no, yeah, that is, a, 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 that's just, a, a, that's just ignorance. And yeah. so you do learn a lot. Uh, and I've learned a lot from uh, all within my hands and, and Renee's work. I've learned an awful lot in the last few years. It's one of the things I've, I've really enjoyed uh, an awful lot in the last few years is, is getting into those all within my hands stories and, and forcing myself to learn more. You know, because I consider myself a very socially educated individual, but uh, whoa, Sonny, <laughs> you don't know shit. You know, really, we don't uh, because right. we're lucky. So, and I know less than shit. <laughs> yeah, well, we're all we're all there. So, you know, and what a great thing that the guys have got this platform because I don't care what anybody says. When James Hetfield turns around and says, "Hey, it's fucking cool that we can help people learn a trade," people pay attention. That's right. And all of a sudden. Yeah. A little more respect is given to those trades. And then people sit and think, like, oh, wow, you know, plumber, electrician, well, that, guy's gonna, that guy or gal, they're going to be employed for the rest of their life. Well, you know, that's a pretty important job. And then you finally come to the conclusion, ding, these people, they are the people who actually run our world. Because right. if my That's fucking right. toilet isn't working, <laughs> guess what? Oh, yeah. It's a trade. It's a vital trade. That's and right. so, it gets, That's right. and so when, when, you know, someone is going through those apprenticeships, they hear James talking, talking him up, 
they're like, fuck yeah, James Hetfield's mm-hmm. talking me up. I'm going to go for it. And, I, you know, we did that um, piece last year where we were talking to the guys in the stands. Uh, in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh. That yeah. was really great. I mean, some of those guys are like, hey, the extra 400 bucks that I would need to actually file the papers to get my certification, I couldn't afford. Yeah. You know, and you can see. So anyway, I hope your listeners, uh, you know, do a little diving. It's worth it. Please make sure you hit that follow button to subscribe to Growing Up Rock podcast so you don't miss an episode. Growing Up Rock is a proud member of the Pantheon Network. Pantheon is the place for music lovers. Check us out along with many other great music podcasts on the Pantheon Podcast Network. So, Stefan, we already heard your story about how Metallica musically came on your radar with with uh, your night of binging and throwing up all over yourself and getting the <laughs> the kill them all <laughs> kill them all record. Well, again, I had I did have the tape beforehand. I must say, so yes. But Renee, where did Metallica musically come on your radar? So, Steph is going to have to remind me what year it was. We've talked about it a million times, but. It was the late 80s. My cousin was really into Metallica. Was this the Injustice uh, for All tour you're talking about? And I about? was really into the cult. The cult was supporting them on the yes. Injustice for All and tour, so 1989. My cousin dragged me to the show. And I, got to, I was there, yes, at the Meadowlands yeah. to see the cult. Yeah. And she was there for Metallica. And when I went to the restroom, when Metallica was about to start, I was like, I don't know this band. What do I care? And I was in the, the ladies' room and I heard the music and I was like, what is this? <laughs> Yeah. I came running out and I was just mind blown, ears blown, everything was blown. And that was that was an eye opener for me musically because, you know, I probably leaned more toward the new wave and punk stuff. And I hadn't really been familiar with Metallica's music. That's why they hooked you because yeah. there was still has always been a punk edge to what they do. That's right. So yeah. The riffs for sure. Yeah. Agreed. So you were listening to the cult and some punk stuff and some new wave stuff. What were some of your favorite bands back then? Oh my goodness. Let's see. Back in those days. So 89, what was I listening to in 89? I mean, there was a lot of, well, there was a lot of Velvet Underground in my world at that time. And there was uh, a lot of New Order and Joy Division. And who you were else? on the cusp of rave. Just tell him. Yeah. What are you talking about this? <laughs> yeah. I, know. I was at Fat Boy Slim. She was the college kid. She yeah. was the college kid that listened to that stuff. Art school, you know. <laughs> yeah. Stefan, I'm guessing because you and I are pretty close to the same age. I'm uh, 57. You're 56 or 57? 56. 56. Do you have my social security number? <laughs> as far as you know. Do you know my eye color and what my height is? <laughs> Every color's blue. You know. <laughs> uh, but we come from uh, that kind of that same era. Were you into the new wave of British heavy metal? I was. I was into all sorts of music, right, as a kid. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll reel off a few of, of them. I mean, the first, uh, well, my parents born to the Isle of Wight when I was three, but that probably doesn't count, right? So, I was brought up by hippies, so I was hearing all sorts back then, 10 years after, Jimi Hendrix, whatever. That was in my system, I guess. Uh, the first gig I ever went to was Ian Dury, Ian Dury and the wow. Blockheads. That's great. Um, late 70s. And then, you know, yeah, then, of course, all sorts. I liked everything. I mean, I loved Madness and the Specials. I loved and adored and 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 just saluted Motorhead and, and, and also Judas Priest and Black Sabbath. So, But then, of course, uh, I'm, you know, 
went to those gigs, met Lem, and then suddenly, you know, the metal just took over. And Metallica was definitely a very fierce part of that. That's a wide stretch, madness to Motorhead. Holy yeah. shit. Mm-hmm. It's a great thing. That's Motorhead. It was a great thing. It was all about, you know, the, and, and throw Iggy Pop in there. Throw the Stooges because yeah. Raw Power and, and Funhouse were albums of my youth as well. The thing is, what music has power, right? So those are powerful bands. I don't care what the genre is. They're powerful. The first Madness record is powerful. It grabs you. That first Specials album is just fucking tremendous. It's powerful, you know? The first Metallica record, it's just so raw and angry. Motorhead, powerful. Iggy Pop, powerful. This is Black Sabbath, power. So that's the, that was my musical link. You know, I would love to say that I was that open-minded at 15 and 16, but honestly, I wasn't. I mean, for me, I was a flat-out metalhead. Like, I liked loud guitar. Oh, so did I. I loved it as well. And I had a shit mullet. Like everyone else, and I wore cowboy <laughs> boots, but you know. But I also was never. I wasn't afraid to say I like Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yeah, because I didn't give a fuck. It doesn't matter if you think I'm an idiot for liking that. Fuck you. Right? I didn't I mean, like <laughs> that stuff when I was growing up. Now going back as a you know in my 30s and 40s, when you start going back and rediscovering this stuff, it's great because you feel like you never. You feel like you didn't discover it when it was happening, but you're discovering it now. There's a slight difference, probably, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is conjecture on my part, so correct me. Uh, you know, I grew up in London's central London's hot breath was breathing on my face. I was in suburban London, right? Mm-hmm. It's a stew pot of everything. And remember, also throw this very important point. I was also a massive football, and still am a massive football English soccer fan. So I was going home and away every week to watch my team, Tottenham. And there's all sorts of musical influences that are associated with football that are not necessarily metal. As a matter of fact, one of the great nights of my of my childhood was, you know, hanging out with all my mates who listened to, you know, other music and so on and so forth. Watch Spurs beat Man United 3-1 at White Hart Lane in 1981. And then got right on the Victoria line, switched, ended up at the Hammersmith Odeon, saw Judas Priest on the point of entry to her in the same night. Brilliant. Nice. That's, that was nice. a brilliant day. You know, that's just nice. wonderful. Yeah. And it should be pointed out, too, you know, the, the, what I was doing in high school, I was working at a record store. I was music was everything. So I loved it all and was consuming <laughs> it all. Yeah, I worked at Crazy Eddie. For no, it's was. great. But you reminded me, I worked in the Woolworth stockroom for one of my shit jobs with, with Jack <laughs> Woolland, who's still an old friend of mine back in England. We worked. And so I love the first two police records. Right? I love yeah. them. I mean, great records. The third one came out. Right. Zenyatta. But we shouldn't say this. Well, no, I think the statute's over. So we ni- we each nicked a copy from the stockroom, right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know, whatever. I, yeah. I found it, right? Guilty it was on the floor. I did the same. Don't even I worry about it. I okay? found it on the floor. Okay, but it fell into my bag. <laughs> what's funny is I put it on. I was must have been. I've, actually, this is a live thought, Stephen. I've never thought about this. I must have been sort of born to be somewhat of a writer or a critic because when I got home and played it, I didn't like it. I was like, this is a letdown. <laughs> And so I thought, well, how I, 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 Nick, what am I going to do? I did something worse. I put a scratch on the record and I brought it back to Woolworths and I and I and I asked to swap it for it. something else. He returned a stolen <laughs> and I got album. Away with it. But I don't know which is the worst. I don't know which is the worst element of that story. The fact I nicked it's all it, bad. scratched it, or the fact that I was such a punt at yeah. that age that I'm like. Huh. Oof, this is a letdown. I don't uh, want to hear this. I, I mean, I didn't even listen to it three times. And now, of course, I've listened to it since. And I'm like, you know, it's actually a pretty good fucking record. <laughs> 
so growing up around a mall, we hung out at the record store and we had friends that worked at the record store and we used to, this was the era cassettes. And yeah. we used to get oh, yeah. these cassettes and it w- we would try like import cassettes. We would try all these metal bands we read, we read about in Crane Magazine. We would try the cassette. Good. And Good if we didn't like it, they would allow <laughs> us to put this sticker on it and return it. Oh, and yeah. They, right. And they would give us a credit and then we would go and try something else. Oh, see, so you can't That's laugh great. at me, Stephen. You can't. You, you got that much, but you're well, not that much more morally accomplished than but I, I am. I actually <laughs> bought the cassette. I didn't steal it. <laughs> yeah, that's and then right. return that's it. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny thing about cassettes, and this is a tangent again, but here we are. Yeah. Um, I remember I was in New York for a couple of summers in in the sort of uh, mid eighties, mid to late eighties. I spent a couple of summers, and so I got to know Rick Rubin uh, pretty well. He's a great guy. Really, really, always has been, in my opinion. And I'll never forget him running up to me holding a cassette like this. And he had uh, he had rain in blood. He'd had the the tape, the you know, the master rain in blood. And he, I just remember him saying, "The whole album fits on each side of a C sixty of a C 60 <laughs> He was yeah. so excited that he made fit the whole album <laughs> on each side, like one and two. You could hear it twice. It flipped. You'd hear it again. You're so excited. <laughs> so whenever you mention cassettes, that's all I I can that's see him running, grinning. Oh, he's grinning. He's gleeful about it, as he should have been. What a fucking record, but. I have a quick Rick Rubin story. One of my first tours, we ended up in San Francisco and we stayed at this hotel that was very, I can't even remember the name of it, but it had a courtyard in the, in the middle of it. And it was, it was like they had bamboo furniture in the rooms and it was. Oh shit, I know that was in the Tenderloin. Yeah, Yeah, in the Tenderloin. The Phoenix? That's it. No, yeah, it might have been the Phoenix. They had something in the the pool. It's very famous for bands hanging out. Yes, it is. So so we stayed there and uh, we walked in and we arrived late one night and uh, I walked into the courtyard and sitting at a picnic table was Rick Rubin, Anthony Kiedis and Flea. (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like uh okay it's the beginning of that joke rick rubin anthony keys walk into a bar no 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 that was that so what that must have been the early 90s right uh that's right it must have been 92 because they probably would have been there for lollapalooza if i'm remembering correctly right in and around there yeah 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 they played lollapalooza and uh as i remember that was when i mean ministry were just on ministry was so good back then they were just cooking they were cooking. Wrangle control again. I'm sorry. I'm tangenting you again. <laughs> it's it's all good. So you guys, you guys have this podcast. You talked a little bit about the creativity that goes on that y'all contribute to the podcast. Who originally said, hey, you know what would be a good idea is for Metallica to have their own podcast? Who came up with that idea? So that was um, in management. Uh, Mark Ryder uh, was the person who uh, wanted not just a podcast, but he wanted what's called a microcast. Um, he, he, both he and Lars Murray at Pop Cult, both very, very much, um, well, they were aficionados of what a microcast is, which is a, sm- a shorter podcast. Uh, somewhere in there, um, they, <laughs> they made maybe the fatal error of inviting one of the windiest people on the planet 
<laughs> to be on it. Uh, that'll be me. Um, who I would say I don't think anything I say or do is particularly recognised in any world as micro. Um, however, I love it. So they believe, but they believed in you know they believed, yeah. and obviously there's good relationships with the band. And I've done you know I've done broadcasting as well, and I've done you know I've done stuff for Sirius, and I do my own podcast about Tottenham Hotspur and so on and so forth. So. You know, they knew I knew. Renee is obviously a shoe-in as the co-host. Radio personality. Radio. Oh, and and I had done a co-host. bit of podcasting also. Yeah, and then Christian was brought in to produce. So, you know, and, and obviously the, the chemistry was very good very quickly. But I think, right. you know, it was – they they hatched the concept. And uh, we've really been – it's been an education learning the concept. I have to be completely honest. Uh, at first, I did not know how a microcast could work. But, uh, you know, I think we've hit the formula. Well, I mean, we do a microcast. I never use that term, but we do a microcast every Friday. We do a uh, 15 minutes. We say 15 minutes or less. Get your quick fix Friday, a dose of rock and roll in 15 minutes or less. We do that. But we also do one full length episode a week, uh, which is. You know, we try to stick somewhere in that hour, hour and 15, hour and 30 range, but we want to, it's freedom. We mm. have the freedom to do and say whatever we want, you know, so. I just, and sorry, I know Renee's going to have something to say about this. And of course, Captain Windy here has got one more thing to add. It's something I learned in my writing career is very, very important. I had tons of freedom writing for Krang and Rip and Bam. I mean, my God, you put those three together, it sounds like a comic uh, expert, right? <laughs> That's funny. So, I mean, it's I'm having the greatest time, 3,000, 4,000 words. And I criticized Joel Selvin, who was the local music critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. I gave him a hard time. I ran into him in my neighborhood, not knowing who he was. He said, hey, he said, you're Stefan, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, I'm Joel Selvin. And I was like, oh, okay. And he goes... You've really kind of been, uh, you kind of been talking shit about me uh, uh, in BAM, right? And I'm like, well, I don't think you're in touch with anything. And he goes, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll make you a deal. He said, you teach me. He said, you bring me the bands that we should have in the Sunday Chronicle, in the Sunday Chronicle, and in the paper, and I will teach you how to write for a daily paper. He said, because you're a great writer, but I don't know if you've got the discipline. So let's help each other out here. And I just thought. What a great offer. What a great thing. I learned such a lot from him in doing so. And I have to say, I think with this pod, it's it's not quite the same in that sense of I wasn't like, you know, raging. Well, I wasn't I wasn't best wrapped around the microcast, but I think I've, I have been uh, receiving an education and learning how to do it with everyone involved. And I think it's I think it's I, I'm very grateful for it. It's a, it's a great skill to have because, by God, I can talk the hind legs off a pantomime horse <laughs> keep it tight yes tight is a challenge tight is a but it's, challenge but it's, it's been a great learning curve yeah. for me and i'm really i'm really enjoying it now in fact for me you know i come from a, a different point of view on it i love the concept of a microcast because i love podcasts i love some of them i can get into but i like the efficiency and certainly from radio it's still a lot more breathing room than we had in radio i mean radio was in out in out you got to get your thought you know it's like get your thought in, out, and move on. So I think what we have is kind of the perfect, it's a perfect balance, you know, and we can quick hit on the topics that we want to hit on. And when we do want to go a little longer, we we, we do. Yeah, you've got some 19-minute episodes out there, but you really, one of the things I've noticed, so first of all, when I get done with it, I always wish there was a little bit more. That's just me. But 
I will say that the amount of content that you shove in that little 15 or 20 minutes is pretty damn good because the content, it keeps moving, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't ever feel rushed, Mm -hmm. but it's a nice, I mean, it's just a nice little comfortable chunk of good stuff. I think we're really lucky to have a producer like Christian yeah. on board who really helps. I mean, Christian as a producer, and you know, I think this is very important, producers can be quite dictatorial, <laughs> but Christian is certainly not that. Uh, he is absolutely uh, – he's there to help you do the best work you can, and he's dealing with two different parties. He's dealing with us, and he's dealing with you know the management who have a perspective as well. But what I've loved the most about it is that everyone has come together to make this uh, what it's becoming. And I include the band in that. I don't think anybody thought the band would be as involved as they would be. I kind of always felt it would happen, but that's just because that's how my mind goes. If I'm, if I'm being honest and if you sit, you know, neutrally, you wouldn't expect the band to be involved as much as they are because it's a, it's a weekly endeavor, but my word, they step up Yeah, a few minutes here, a few minutes there. And this is another place where the microcast really works because they know yeah, these poor guys, they've seen me for what well over 30 years and they probably think, oh, fuck, it's war and peace. Um, but they now know that like, oh, it's actually might, it might just be like an, an, an episode of The Simpsons or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like it's a little shorter. Yeah. So they might be actually relieved, you know. Yeah. Like what you're hearing? Share this episode out. Post it to your favorite social network and let people know you're listening to the Grown Up Rock podcast. It will help us grow and we greatly appreciate it. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. So when you attend a Metallica show, is it always the pit for you or the soundboard? Or do you go grab a seat somewhere? A show this massive, where's the best place to watch it? Renee, let's start with you. I go everywhere, everywhere I can possibly go. I will start in the snake pit and then work my way out and around, hit the soundboard, say hello to some people, 
And then I will sometimes even take an elevator all the way up to the tippy top (laughs) so I can get that perspective, especially with this uh, M72 tour. I mean, it's just so, well, it's massive and it's really incredible to get the different perspectives and with the towers and everything and looking at those screens. So yeah, I I am all over the place, but I I probably, I, I hit the snake pit in the early part and then work my way outward by the end of the show. But where's your favorite place to watch it? Favorite place, I think, is I like the floor outside of the pit because I get to see more people. I I like to people watch as much as watch the band. So can you see the show well from there? Yeah. Yeah. You can put yourself in a spot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. How about you, Stefan? It's two questions you asked in one. You asked the best place to watch the show from, right? So let's start there. I think with M72, there's three great places to watch the show from. It depends what you're looking for. Okay. My personal perspective is always, quote, unquote, halfway line, 50 yards up, right? So I'm a soundboard guy or, you know, that's kind of generally at a gig is going to be one of the better places you're going to be able to see the stage. On this tour, I think you're probably as well being halfway up the stands. Because you get to see everything and the screens will bring you the detail you may not be getting. I mean, if you want the hit, then you get right close to the pit, right? Personally, because I like to take pictures and because these guys, God love them, they let me kind of do what I want with it with a camera. They're they're great. They never stop me doing anything uh, backstage or otherwise. I like to go not in the snake pit, but between the outer stage and that barrier. So, you know, I guess it would be the photo pit, you would call it, except it goes all around the stage. I like to be there. I like to try and pick up on the energy of a show. I like to try and pick up on where they're at during a show. Love to pick up on the fans. I end up walking around over and over again, just kind of looking at people, how they're reacting. Yeah. Trying to pick up on, on and just trying to pick up on the band energy as well as much as I can. I, that That's yeah. always the bit that intrigues me the most. Um, whenever I interview them, I'm always more interested in the psychology and the mentality of things than I am, you know, what scale did you play at four minutes and 51 of creepy, which look is a very valid question. It's just not where my mind works. So that's where I, I enjoy the most, but you know, I I mean, I've been, I've been up obviously to check out from the top, but yeah, that's where you'll find me. Fair enough. I've shared my story regarding the band many times on the podcast before, so I'll share it real quick with you guys because you don't know, and then I'll ask you the question. So my history with Metallica, I've seen some great live shows over the course. My first show was Van Halen in 1982 on the Diver Down Tour. That was my first concert. Amazing. So I got into Metallica when I got this... uh, concrete metal compilations thing that Brian Slagle put out and it had one Metallica song called hit the lights on it. Metallica was spelled wrong on the cassette and everything. (laughs) That was my introduction to Metallica. And there were some great bands on that cassette, by the way, I heard hit the lights at a later time. I went to the record store that I told you guys about. They had two records on the end capped. All black and red, both of them. One was Kill 'Em All by Metallica. The other one was Raven All for One. I bought both of those <laughs> records that day and was a Metallica fan from there on out. Okay, that's way back in whatever, 81, 82, somewhere in and around there. Metallica, for whatever reason, 
has been the one band that I've never seen live in all my history. So (laughs) I know it's crazy because Metallica did a lot of touring in the 90s when they were really touring a lot. I was on the road, too, as a Mm. tour manager. So my schedule never really hit because I was on the road all the time in the 90s. By the time we got to the 2000s, you know, they sort of moved up to the stadiums and things like that. And I didn't want to pay a bunch of money to sit in a nosebleed in a stadium and watch the band. That's not how I really wanted to see the band for the first time. So for whatever reason, it just has escaped me all these years. I'm sure I'll eventually get to see them. I'll make it a point because I really want, you know, I really want to see it. Uh, Uh being a fan for this long, but it's crazy. So my question to you is, do you guys have a band that's still active today that you've loved forever, but have never seen live? We'll start with you, Renee. Oh man, not me, not yet. Cause I was just thinking about this recently, that it was a band. The active bit throws it completely. Yeah, the active bit throws it. Are the Who still active? Do yeah, they yeah, play? Yeah. So that that is that is a band that I've never seen live that I should and I I wish I did. I saw them literally two years ago with a uh, orchestra. They were great. They oh, were yeah? really great. Yeah. All right. Note to self: Stephen? See the Who. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a it's a very tough question for me uh, because obviously a freelance for many years, so I saw tons of bands yeah, i've interviewed right. tons of people and seen them play so it's i'm going to fudge your question slightly and just say i've never seen ian mckay play live either with fagazi or with minor threat and i'd love to have seen that i'd love to i fucking love to have seen minor threat back in the day that would have been just tremendous i mean uh, that would have been great i will say as well i mean they're not officially disbanded and they're not a rock band but uh daft punk ah and Daft Punk's quite similar to your story, Stephen, in the sense of whenever they came through here, I was out on tour with this lot. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so I never saw them. And that's that's definitely, if they ever played, that would be a bucket list. I think you, then you're getting into, you know, I mean, I saw Pink Floyd, but I didn't see Pink Floyd with Warders and Gilmore. Mm. I saw them first in 1987. I missed the wall tour uh, by, by like actually literally 30 people in line. Wow. They got cut off. My dad got cut off. He was that close. that They were queuing up outside Earl's Court. So that's one of the gigs that I think if Gilmore and Waters ever patched it up, I would go anywhere to see that. I've never been a huge Pink Floyd fan, but I did see Roger Waters live Yeah, yeah. Uh, seen him. right after uh, I think he left Floyd. Yeah, I mean, I saw Floyd without him, uh, obviously with Dave Gilmore, but I just yeah. that 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 what what Gilmore and Waters make is just something that will, I mean, that's just it'll never happen again. And so, part of it for me was growing up in a small town. You know, I didn't have the opportunity to see a lot of bands. I didn't live on the West Coast or the East Coast, and, right. and you know, right. uh, my co-host was the complete opposite. He uh, was born and raised in the in the uh, Bay Area. So he saw a lot of this stuff. A lot of bands, yeah. It makes a massive difference. And it's the same with growing up in London, right? I mean, these are the same things. The access you have, it's really just like, you know, will your mum let you out? And if she doesn't, how, how, you know, how can you sneak out without (laughs) knowing? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And do I have, do I have the the bus fare to get me there? (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly.
interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Look at all the people here tonight! Oh man, I got to make an announcement right here. Can you hear me out there? It's time to take a quick break in the action from this week's episode. Sonny and I just wanted to thank all of you, the listeners, for joining us each and every week. Whether you just found us today or have been listening for multiple episodes, we love your passion for music and rock and roll in general. We consider you all part of our loud minority family. Always remember you can communicate with us a few different ways. If you don't mind Facebook, head over to the Growing Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group and be part of the conversation. It's a private group and all you have to do is ask to join, answer a few rock and roll questions, and you're in. If you despise Facebook, which many people do, then send us an email to growinguprock at gmail.com. We get everything there. You can follow us on Twitter and Insta at Growing Up Rock, which is one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. In the event you feel entertained by our podcast, we would appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and go leave us a five-star review either at Apple Podcast or Podchaser. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. So we recently recorded a top five Metallica songs episode, and we've always said from day one, look, it's clickbait, it's top five, but it's top five at this particular time on this particular day. So off the top of your heads and knowing that we won't hold you to being the top five forever, can you give us your top five right now? Renee? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to go with Whiplash. That's because you act like a maniac. I know. I fucking love that song. It's just so good. <laughs> Whiplash, 72 Seasons is in my top five right now. Actually, I have a lot of from the new album that is in my top five. So I'm going to also put Darkness Had a Sun on there as well. All within my hands, but the San Francisco Symphony version fucking great right song. now. It's great so good. Song. There's that moment where James's voice melds yeah. beautifully with, I don't know if it's an oboe or what the fuck it is, but Baby it's like, me uh, it's so, it's a great song from a great album, a very underrated album, by the way, St. Anger. St. Anger. Yeah, that's true. And then I'll put Sandman. I mean, let me put Sandman in there. It's always going to be the greatest <laughs> song ever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stefan. Which, uh, which uh, they threw Sandman in pretty early in the set at India, which is great. No, I love that. And I, it's funny, I was thinking that in my head. I'm thinking, ah, if they really wanted to do the, the mega festival set, they'd do something weird like do that. And, of course, uh, Lars did that. Is it bad if I say I don't need to hear Sandman ever again? That's you. That's up to you. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great song. It's just it's a, ah, song. it's a song that I never think I need to hear again until I hear it. And until I'm, you hear it. I'm glad I heard it. It's like no, it's a great, it's yeah. a, it's a great song. Yeah. All right. So uh, fight fire with fire, absolutely, and banging it. Uh, just yes. uh, just probably 
deep emotional connection to that song uh, simply for you know it was part of my first ever assignments with the band so really really good orion um <sighs> very much um so you know uh, lucky um to know cliff um i knew him he was a actually part of the reason i ended up staying in the bay area was because of him when i moved here so um he was a big part of that um and it's impossible to hear that song and and not i mean that's that's his stamp you know everywhere uh harvester harvester of sorrow just tremendous for me probably the first time james really started to get raw and open about the pain that he uh, has lived with for, for a long, long time that he, he'd written about it. But I felt for me, this was the song where he really just started to, you know, he wasn't going to polish it for anyone or it's nothing metaphoric about Harvester of Sorrow, nothing. And just such a huge, huge riff. I mean, just tremendous. I think Hardwired is probably one of the best bangers they've written for a long, long time. Great set opener. Still love hearing it. Loved hearing it in India, actually. I thought, you know, they have uh, a slot in the set where they'll put a fast one in. And they, you know, I think a lot of people were expecting something else. But Hardwired is just great. It just works so well. Off the new album, Enamorada, uh, I think he's just tremendous, really investigating, I think, sort of the territories that they did with Orion to a degree, but very much also plumbing their Sabbath roots and just running with the riff and the freedom of that dark riff and just really, really great song. And and, and the, the shortest, longest song they've ever written because it is the longest song they've ever written. But when you hear it, it doesn't sound like the sum total of the minutes it tells you it is. So, you know, I don't know. I think I'm a five, but I mean, I've also like end of the line, my world, fade, sad. I mean, the, the, those are ones that I throw on the end right now that I'm really into. So there's a bunch. Yeah. Harvester made my list as well. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, Renee, you, you mentioned 72 seasons of song. That damn song. And I. It's great. I freaking love that song. We we spotlighted that uh, as the crank it up. We have a spot crank it up spotlight where we feature new bands. But since it was a Metallica top five, we featured a new song. And we said, hey, 72 seasons, this this song, you know, Metallica is one of those bands that gets, they're so polarizing. Like people, you know, people hate them. People love them. People that are old school fans are like, they sold out. People that are, you know, all this stuff. And I approach it from a much more flatline position, which is, do I like it or do I not like it? And I listen to the new album and I'm like, I. I don't get what people are even talking about. If you're an old school fan, what is there that you don't like? I hear pieces of all the old reasons that I liked Metallica, but at a better recording because now <laughs> it's technology's better, right? So I don't, I just don't get it. 72 Seasons is one of those songs that makes the hair stand up on my arms because of the way it builds. And it's I'm just like, holy shit, this song's awesome. I think you touched on something which is very important for people uh, today. I, I, you know, I felt this watching ACDC the other night. You know, watch the band you're seeing, listen to the music you're listening to, and just go with it. How does it make you feel? That's right. Like, how does mm-hmm. 72 Seasons make you feel? Stop thinking about the history of the band or the history. Of this. Do you like it? Is it making yeah. you move? 
Are you enjoying it? That's exactly That's it. all. That's all you need. But there's so much. But everyone has to have an opinion on everything about everything. I really think it's swayed by social media. I mean, I think yeah, people's, well, you know. people's attitudes and perception is swayed by social media completely because if it's just me, the headphones, and the song, and I'm, I'm referencing back to something off of Kill Em All or Ride the Lightning or Master or any of that stuff. I just I hear the same aspect. But it's exactly what you're saying, and it's it's, it's a how you approach it. So if you listen to that song and you're enjoying it, and then you're like, "Wow, I hear a little bit of this. I hear a little bit of that. Wow, okay, that's cool. That's one thing." If you go to listen to that song, having read someone say, "Well, oh, it's just got loads of bits that sound like other bits," and blah blah blah, then before you've even started, you've got a preconceived negative, what well, a quote unquote notion in your head. Why would you do that to yourself? And why do people get into that? So, no, I, I, I'm with you all the way. And I think it's a, it's a super strong album. The last one was too. These guys are not fooling around and they're not, you know, they're not phoning it in on any fucking level. This is a hardworking band with plenty to say, a lot of fire, a lot of spit still in there. That's why they're so popular. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And that's why their audience keeps growing. I mean, yeah. it's right. crazy. I said that the other day. I said there are very few bands that can play stadiums, right? You got like the Foo Fighters, Guns N' Roses, and Metallica, basically, on a stadium level. And so they're like, I I was making my wife laugh with this. I said, they're the Taylor Swift of rock and roll. (laughs) You know, know, I'm, I'm, I'm not on our official pod, so I can exercise myself a little bit, not exercise, exercise myself. And, and, uh, and, I think some some will probably like me exercised at some point, but <laughs> um, but you know another thing about Indio and another thing that our podcast this week uh, gets into and and really I hope transmits. It was like a fucking field trip. It was like it was like a fucking sleepaway. Yeah. It was like we all got to have a sleepaway with the Lakinda as our as our cat, as our cat, <laughs> as our tent, right? That's what it was. Now, when that is in your, it's when that's in your your heart and in your veins and 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 it just in you, yeah, you know, you can't beat that. And I don't see that with very many people who are where they are. I just don't. I just don't see it. I had to laugh. The band got more damn press out of Ross's photo of them watching Judas Priest than they did actually playing the festival. Yeah, I well, that was hilarious. You couldn't open up. You couldn't open up a uh, number, page number, anywhere without num- that picture. Number right? one. Number one. This will tell you why Ross Halfin's the best at what he does with this band, uh, especially uh, that 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 one photo there tells you because he'll do it and he'll find it and he'll take it and he'll get it out there and everyone then gets to enjoy the moment, right? And number two. We all know these guys are going to play a, a great show. That's a given. In a sad sense, we've come to expect it. So mm-hmm. if they don't play an amazing show, which I haven't seen for some time because they always play well, that would be news. So, But nobody expects bands of their size to do that. Right. Yeah. Just you to- know, nobody expects. I watched a Judas Priest set from the soundboard, and then I joined them in the pit for the ACDC set. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the same thing, same levels of enthusiasm. You know, that's what keeps it alive, you know? Yeah. If you can't love what you do, then why would you want to do it? Well, we've, let's not go there. How many entertainers and bands could you say are lost in that, sw- in that swamp? That's a whole other podcast. I'll tell you what, though. It's a shame if you don't love what you do in a band and if you can't appreciate the bands around you. I mean, we're all, we're all fans. Who on this podcast right now 
isn't a fan of music. You'll always love it, but I think that there are complications that occur in lives at that level, which can get in the way of even your greatest love, uh, both on and off the stage, actually, sadly. Oh, and that's one of the greatest things about this band is they have found ways through those moments, as we've seen. I mean, some kind of monster shared that. I just watched that last night. Yeah. Well, it, everyone fucking laughed about that and everyone had a giggle. And you know what? It's somewhat become an unofficial Bible for bands in trouble. So, and, and how to get through it and how to just be a fucking human being and just cut the shit and try and just own up to it, whatever it is. So, you know, high praise to them yeah. for that on a human level. And I love when James talks about mental health uh, on stage these days. I fucking love it. Again, we're back to talking about the trades. When James Hetfield says it's okay if you don't feel great and, you know, look for help, talk for someone, but don't worry because I, I don't always feel fucking great. That's so powerful. And I, I you know, that those are the moments that really make me proud to work with this band. I'm not fucking kidding. It's huge. Yeah, I want to be respectful of you guys' time. I really, really appreciate you guys spending the time that you have with me. I think we've had a great conversation. Oh, it's fun. Real fun. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to drag it to that moment at the end. I no, think it's great. I think it's important. It's totally important. Yeah, there's a lot of important information in this, and we still found a way to talk rock and roll, so it's all good. <laughs> It's all good. What do we want to promote? All the things that we promote in this episode, we'll put links in the show notes. So that goes without saying. The All Within My Hands Foundation, obviously. So what uh, magazine on the Metallica website? Is there anything else we want to promote before we get up on out of here? I would say more than just So What Magazine, the fifth member uh, yeah. fan club. Okay. Make it a fifth member fan club of which So What is a, is a benefit. You know, make sure people know that the cost of, of joining and becoming a fifth member yes. and reading all this and seeing all this fantastic content. By the way, please make sure you put this in. Brett Murray. Uh, video man is uh, does great work uh, as does jeff yeager that those guys do do great great work capturing every show you know both with still camera oh, and with video yep. yes please uh, please make sure you mention them they're they're really a big part of this so yeah fifth member would be the thing yeah all right the metallica report the grown-up rock podcast both part of the pantheon podcast family of shows stefan Renee, thanks so much for being a part of the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen, and thank you for calling me a grown up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Two cool. weeks of Metallica listeners. Metal up your ass. Enjoy. <laughs> See ya. See ya. See ya. It's time to shuffle, rattle, and roll us out of here. Get ready to turn it up.
You can help out the podcast greatly by leaving us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Spotify. The links are in the show notes, or just drop us a line at our email, growinguprock at gmail.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.